You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. As Rob said, we are approaching the back end of our series titled Crazy Busy. It's been a good series, hasn't it? It's been pretty confronting, right? We've, We've been dealing with this issue of crazy busyness in our lives. Busy is good. Busy is good. Crazy busy, not so much. Crazy busy, not so good. We are beginning the, uh, every message with this statement because we want to keep talking about why are we talking about this in church? Why are we talking about this issue of crazy business in church? We are because when we are crazy busy, we put our souls at risk. When we are crazy busy, we put our souls at risk. In this series, we've been looking at some of, the, some of the things that come to the surface when we are crazy busy. Our joy gets stolen. Our hearts can get robbed. So many things can choke out our souls. We've looked at parenting last week. We looked at work. We've realized we need a new vision for those things. And we've, we've seen that the gospel gives us a new vision for these things. The gospel gives us freedom from our crazy busy lives. This week, as Rob said, we are talking about rest. We're going to take some time to talk about rest. And here it is. We are crazy busy because we don't know how to rest. We are crazy busy because we don't know how to rest. I often start messages with cute little stories about the family or the band days or something. I'm not going to do that today. What I want to do is I want to ask us a question. And I want this to be really running around our heads throughout this message, throughout the rest of our Sunday want to discuss it in our small groups. We're talking about it this week. And this is the question, which is quite convicting. It's a question I want to think through. What path are you on? Are you on the path that leads to burnout? Or are you on the path that leads to a life of flourishing? Are you on a path that leads to weariness, tiredness, burnout? Or are you on a path that leads to life, fruitfulness, a life of flourishing. If you were to stay on your current trajectory, where would you end up? Death or life? Let me ask. Get serious for a moment. How are your stress levels at the moment? How often do you feel anxious? How much time do you spend worrying about things? When was the last time you felt really refreshed? The more I researched this topic this week, the, the more significant I found it was, the more important I felt it was for myself and for our church. We need to learn how to rest well. Now, this week, personally, I've been challenged and encouraged to actually apply to, to my life personally a lot of the stuff I've been thinking through this week, so I hope that's the case for us. It's not easy. The, th- the thing that I've found is to rest well, it's actually a little bit of hard work. We've got to do some thinking around what it means to rest well. So today, enormous topic of rest. I probably wrote about two or three sermons worth this week. I've cut out a bunch because I love you guys and I don't want you taking too much rest in the sermon. And so I've cut it down and there's so much to say. We just want to say a few things here, okay? How are we going to tackle this issue of rest? We're going to look at one thing we really need to know, we're going to spend some time on This is absolutely foundational to our idea of rest. Without this, we'll get to it in a moment, we will not be able to rest well, okay? 
So one thing we really need to know, then we're going to look at two glorious but neglected gifts. We're going to spend a lot of time on one of them particularly, we'll see. And then we're going to look at an invitation to rest, okay? So one thing we really need to know, two glorious but neglected gifts and an invitation to rest. Let's get started with our first point. One thing we really need to know, are you ready? This is foundational for us to rest well. The one thing we really need to know is we are dust. You and I are dust. Now, I'll unpack that in a moment, but that's the truth. Without this foundational understanding, we will never be able to rest well. We'll never be able to orient ourselves around resting well. You and I, we are dust. Now, what do I mean? Last week, we kind of saw this, didn't we? We looked at work. We looked at God creating us. We are made in the image of God. We saw God make us from the dust. Yes, God breathed his life into us in that intimate way, and, and we are made in the image of God, and yet we saw that we are made from material stuff. We are dust. God got his fingernails dirty and while making us, and we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, that we are made from dust, and because of the fall back to dust, we will return. You and I are fragile, finite beings. It's kind of funny because in many ways, we're nothing like dust, are we? Right? We're nothing like dust. We are very complex beings with brains, neural pathways, intricate DNA, nervous systems, and all that kind of stuff. And for some of us, our bodies work really well. They aid us in our day-to-day lives. We are a picture of strength. Our minds are also clear. They aid us in our day-to-day lives. Our strength, you know, our minds, our clarity of thought are to be celebrated and enjoyed. But the point is this, at no point are we very far from reverting to dust. Our strength to be celebrated, yes, absolutely, sometimes it can mislead us because we can walk, talk, think and act. Then we begin to think we'll always be able to walk, talk, think and act. We begin to think we are kind of immortal. My nan, um, we call her Nana Jean, it's my mother's mother. She has just turned 97 two weeks ago. She's doing incredibly well. Up to a few months ago, she was living on her own, in her own place, a normal apartment, and believe it or not, a year ago, she was driving. Scary thought. Be be thankful you're not driving between Wurunga and St. Ives on Tuesday mornings about a year ago, because you would have seen Nana Jean, 96-year-old, driving away, no longer anymore. But as is often the case, a few months ago, she had a fall. And she's now in a nursing home. She's in care. And I tell you what, she's, her body and mind are slipping very fast. Of course, she's 97. It's to be, to be expected. But it's happened really quick with her. She's becoming very frail. This woman, uh, Nan and Pa, really helped raise me. My mother was a single mum, so they were around a lot. And she used to help discipline. And, man, she had some strength for a 70-year-old woman back then. She used to, I have vivid memories. She used to chase me around the house with this little stick. And, man, she had strength as sort of a 10-year-old. I could not match her strength. But now she's a picture of frailty, 35 kilos, her body and her mind wasting away. It's quite confronting when I visit her. I'm sure you've experienced this. When I visit her and and you see other people in a nursing home, you are confronted with the truth that you and I are frail beings. None of us are ever really that far away from dust. 
Now, it's not only the elderly who experience this, is it? Let me ask you, have you ever firsthand experienced the fragility, the fragile-like nature of your body or your mind? Have you ever been just put flat on your back before? It's a very humbling experience, isn't it? If you've experienced it, you know someone that has, it is very humbling. I found myself about 15 years ago, I was about 24, what's that, 14 years ago, um, feeling fine. And then in a couple of weeks' time, my energy levels were just so low, I found myself flat on my back in hospital, diagnosed with diabetes. Two weeks ago, before that, I was feeling fine, a picture of health, and a couple of weeks later, part of my body just decides to shut down, they don't know why, just shuts down. It's very confronting, a humbling experience. We are fragile people. Now, sometimes our bodies and our minds just give way because they are fragile. We are from dust and we live in a fallen world. That's the case. But sometimes our actions, our decisions lead us into unhealthy patterns and on the path to burnout. Let me ask you again, what path are you on? Are you on the path to burnout or are you on the path to flourishing? As part of my degree and ongoing professional development, I've had to read a lot around the subject of burnout among pastors. It's a very real thing. The dropout rate for pastors who experience burnout is very surprising and confronting. I've had to do a lot of reading about this, and uh, it's, it's been a reality check. You know, seeing a lot of these pastors, many just work too hard. They've got just atrocious boundaries and little discipline around the idea of time off, the idea around a day off and not working all the time. And they fail to remember that our bodies and our minds cannot withstand everything we throw at them and experience no consequences. The very well-known Scottish pastor of the 19th century, Robert Murray McShane, who's a bit of a a hero of mine, said this, God gave me the gospel and a horse, speaking of his body, the horse. I've killed the horse so I can no longer preach the gospel. This is true of too many pastors, and it's true of too many of us. We end up forgetting our bodies. It's a rental. Oh, we'll be given a new one, but this is finite. We are fragile, finite beings. We forget our creatureliness, and we think we can do it all. But you know what? Here's a verse. I remember first reading it and was very confronted with it. Now it is a source of great comfort. Psalm 103, verse 14 For he knows, that is God, he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we are dust. You see, you and I, we might forget our creatureliness, but God does not. He does not expect the impossible from us. And therefore, he has given us two glorious gifts, neglected gifts, although hopefully maybe after this message, they may not be as neglected, but he has given us two glorious but neglected gifts, two things that remind us that God is God and that we are not, two things that God does not need but we do need, and they are this. You ready? The first one, Sabbath and sleep. They're the two ones. Okay, we're going to look at We're going to spend a good good amount of time talking about the Sabbath. Ready? Two glorious gifts. The first one, Sabbath. Let's start with this idea, this thought of Sabbath. What is it? Well, I reckon there's lots of confusing thoughts in the Christian world about 
Sabbath. Maybe it's something only for the ancient Israelites. It had to do with the law. It was a commandment. And then Jesus came to fulfill those things, maybe to abolish it. So what do we do with it? We just kind of leave it alone a bit. I remember growing up in my church context, we had barely any teaching around it and very little sort of discipline around this subject of Sabbath. And also there's some weird parts of Christianity maybe that take a very legalistic view of the Sabbath. Some do it on a Saturday, some do it on a Sunday. So maybe it's just best if we leave it alone in this sort of mainstream evangelical culture that we're in. We don't often talk about Sabbath, do we? Here's my view for what it's worth. I know you're just on the edge of your seat for this. I reckon the hard rules and legalism that have sprung up around the Sabbath have absolutely changed, but the principle has not. The principle of Sabbath has not. It remains very true. What does that mean? Ignore the Sabbath at your own peril. Now, let's start at the beginning of the Sabbath. What does it really mean? The Hebrew word for Sabbath, Shabbat, simply means stop. That's what it means. Stop. Stop working. Stop what you're doing. Stop. It is the fourth commandment given to Israel. But even before this, God, do you know this? He wrote the rhythm of work and rest into the fabric of creation. Check out Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he'd done. God rests from the work of creation. Have you thought about that before? God rests? Why does he rest? Is he, is he tired? Does God get tired? Have you thought about that? Why, is, why do we see God resting? He rests to give us the pattern he wants us to follow. Work hard, rest well. Work hard, rest well. This practice of rest is then given to God's people as a gift, which we saw it in our first reading, read so well by Sam. Let's have a look quickly again. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. You see the link back there to creation. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now imagine this. Imagine the ancient Israelites coming out of Egypt. God has rescued them out of 400 years of slavery. And now God is going to be their master. They're old bosses. You think your boss is a slave driver. Their bosses were literal slave drivers. You think they experienced a day off in Egypt? Now they come, they are rescued out of Egypt. And they're thinking, what's God going to be like? He's going to be our master. How is he going to treat us? I will give you everything you will need. I want you to work for it in a rhythm of work and rest. I want you to have a regular restorative day off. Now, from all the research I can do, I've seen that this is utterly unique in the ancient world. There's no other culture that has a regular day of restoration built in to their week. God gave it as a gift to his people because he knows They are dust. He is our maker. He knows we are fragile and we need rest. We get to the New Testament. What do we learn about the Sabbath? We see that it is central to the nation of Israel that Jesus comes into. 
And we see from our reading from Mark 2, the Pharisees, the religious people in Jesus' day, pick on Jesus' followers for doing something that looked like work. They're walking through the grain fields. They're picking a head of grain, rubbing it between their hands and having a little snack. Right? The Pharisees jump on Jesus' followers for doing something that looked a little bit like work. Here's the problem now. They've forgotten that Sabbath is a gift, a restorative gift. They've put so many rules and fences and boundaries around this idea of work and the Sabbath that it's become a burden. It's become a rest, and they've forgotten the principle of why God gave it to them. After the Pharisees have a go at Jesus' followers for this, Jesus says these famous and beautiful words. He says the Sabbath was made for humanity, for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Pharisees are rebuked. It's meant to be a gift. Stop making it so much work. Now, I don't know how you feel when you read something like this, but you might feel this not my issue. I'm far removed from this being a problem, from, from putting too many rules and, and boundaries around the Sabbath. That's not my problem. I think we have a different one. At college, um, I remember meeting a good friend of mine from the island nation of Tonga. His name was Sinbad, and he was built like a fridge. He, he played rugby league professionally for the Melbourne Storm for quite a while. His bicep was about as big as my head. Enormous guy. It was kind of like looking in a mirror, actually, when I saw him. <laughs> and uh, great guy. One of those big, friendly giants, you know. And we, we, I just really loved hearing about his upbringing, which was so different from my city, Sydney upbringing. Did you know um, Tonga is kind of a Christian nation? I don't know if you knew that. It's kind of an island Christian nation. I didn't know much about it. And he told me we were talking about this, this uh, issue of Sabbath, and they take it very seriously. Like it's, it's, it's lightened a bit now, but when he was growing up, he's about my age, so maybe 30 years ago, very strict. The boundaries around Sabbath were huge. They couldn't go to the beach, no shops open. It was really frowned upon to do anything. Maybe the bread shop was open for a couple of hours because they love their bread, right, he was telling me. But really, everything, it was frowned upon just kind of to do anything. And I remember after he told me this, I feel a bit bad this about myself. I, um, I was pretty quick to kind of mock their ways. I thought, oh, that's silly. Don't I know the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of grace and freedom? Don't they know that? I mean, why would they take the Sabbath just so seriously? It just make no, makes no sense. Our way of life, this you know, Christianity that we live out here in Sydney, in urban Sydney, that's, that's more enlightened. But I tell you what, is it really? Is our way of life around this idea of rest much more enlightened? What's the fruit of our lives? Do you think we might be happier? Are we more joyful? Are we more rested? I highly doubt it. Here's the thing, because we think this idea of, of Sabbath, of having a day off, a day of rest, a day to keep it holy, is just doesn't apply to us, don't we? we? They may have swung this way, but we have swung totally the other way. We think it just doesn't apply to us, that it's optional. Now, while they could do with a dose of grace and freedom around this idea of Sabbath, we could probably do with a dose of a kick up the butt when it comes to discipline around rest. We can be quick to think, oh, the Pharisees are stupid for making it such a burden for people, but we are not much better if we do not ever practice this God-given rhythm of work and rest. We are high on individual freedom here, aren't we? 
high on this idea of individual freedom, but often our lives don't look like freedom. I think often our lives look a lot like oppression. So, Sabbath, what can it look like? What does a Sabbath day look like? Well, for all of us, it's going to look really different. Can I just say that? It's going to, I don't want to get too specific. It can all look really different. But you know what it firstly is? I'm going to state the obvious. It's a day when we don't work. It's a day when we do not work. Do you have a day in your week where you don't work at all? What can Sabbath look like? A day starts maybe, a day of starting in quiet, starting in God's word and prayer, focusing on the truth that our identity is not in what we do, but it is in who we are in Christ. If your Sabbath is a Sunday, and of course a lot of people work shift work and different things like that, Sabbath is not necessarily Sunday for a lot of people. There's freedom there. But if it is a Sunday, then it's a wonderful opportunity to come and gather with God's people and worship him together, together and serve his family. What else? I reckon maybe time away from the screen. That looks like Sabbath. Out in creation, time with friends, time with family. What recharges your batteries? What gives you rest? Laughing, eating, resting. For me, it's, it usually has a few elements. Time hanging out with Pip and the kids, good coffee, bacon. They are things that restore me and look forward to. This should be something in our week that we look forward to. Sabbath is coming. Rest is coming. It's a 24-hour period when I, 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 I start the day exactly in what I talked about, and, and particularly when you're in my vocation industry, whatever it's called, I have a tendency to overwork, to overthink, to never turn my mind off. So I start focusing on who I am in Christ and my identity in him, not in what I do, and in the reality that I am not God. He is God. I cannot change people. I cannot save people. Yes, we want to proclaim the hope of Jesus to Mossman and beyond, but that is not entirely on my shoulders. That's God's work. What can we do? We can create environments when people witness, experience the hope of Jesus. But in terms of saving people, that's his business. I cannot change people. So all of these things, I I give it over to God and I submit to him. And then it's time away from the screen, coffee, bacon, and walking and good things, exercise, all that kind of stuff. Here's the last thing to say about Sabbath, and we'll move on. If you're anything like me, I reckon you might be tempted to skip it occasionally. Who hasn't been tempted to do that? This week, I've got so much, I'm just going to work through it. It's okay. I'll be all right. I'm not too tired. I'll just kind of skip it this week and see how we go. And you know what the worst thing can be? You get away with it. The worst thing can be when we skip our day off, God in his mercy gives us what we need and we get away with it. And you know what happens? It becomes a habit. And then we think we have evolved to be slightly superhuman and other people kind of need that thing called a Sabbath or a day off, but not us. We can't keep running at that pace though. We can't keep it up. Take the gift and trust God. We practice the gospel when we take the Sabbath. Okay. Second glorious gift. We spent most of our time on this idea of Sabbath. Let's move on. Second glorious gift is sleep. Pursuing a pattern of work and rest is about more than a regular day off or a yearly holiday. We need good and regular sleep. Psalm 127 verse 2 says this, In vain you rise early 
and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. What was the first thing we had to remember? You and I are dust. We are finite beings. And God knows we need good sleep. Now, a bit of a caveat around here. I'm feeling for the, the young parents in the room at this point who kids get up. And our little one got up four times last night. What's with that? And sometimes we are not in control okay, of sleep. Some people experience insomnia. Some people ex- experience health issues that do not allow them to have good sleep. But we must do everything within our power to create an environment of getting good sleep. You know, up until fairly recently, I used to view sleep as a necessary evil. You know, I'm a night person. I've got three young kids, but I'm still not a morning person. Lord, change me. But I'm a night person. It's probably a layover from all the gigging in the band days. And I'm a night person. I kind of used to think going to sleep was almost a bit of a punishment. And here's what I used to do as well. Probably still do in some ways. I'd compare myself to other people. You know, I'd sort of take pride in my capacity. Have you heard that word? People talk about their capacity. You know, oh, I've, I've, I've only got this little sleep, but I'm doing better than these folks. You know, these other people at Bible college who don't even have kids. I'm, I'm doing better than them and, and other colleagues and other friends, and I, I'm only getting this much sleep, but I'm doing pretty well. The foolishness of taking pride in something like capacity probably is totally obvious to you. It's only something God in his mercy has been showing me recently. Here's the thing. As soon as you meet someone with a genuinely large capacity, you just feel so small, right? My capacity isn't as great as I thought it was. And the older I get, the closer to 40 I become. God is teaching me that sleep is a good thing. To boast about getting little sleep and still doing well is just absolutely absurd. Because here's a struggle I think you, you and I, most of us take part in. Most of us think we can borrow time but we cannot steal it. Say that again. Most of us think we can borrow time, but the truth is we cannot steal it. What do I mean? You could stay up all night, finish that assignment, finishing that proposal, that sales pitch, finishing that, that season two of Netflix or whatever it is that you're, just, you're passionate about, you want to see. But if we're foolish to think there's no consequences because we don't get more time. You stay up all night and do something, you will pay for it. We will, won't we? And if we keep doing that for a few nights, we're going to get sick. We'll find our bodies will require that time back from us sooner than we might think. might surprise some of us to be talking about this subject of sleep in church. It's kind of strange. It seems very practical. And is it very spiritual? I found this quote from theological heavyweight Don Carson. It's long, but I think it's worth it. And it, it probably sums up everything. Let's read it together. Ready? If you keep burning the candle at both ends, sooner or later, you will indulge in more and more mean cynicism. You thought about that? And the line between cynicism and doubt is a very thin one. Of course, different individuals require different numbers of hours of sleep. Moreover, some cope with a bit of tiredness better than others. Nevertheless, if you are among those who become nasty, cynical, or even full of doubt when you are missing your sleep, you are morally obligated to try and get the sleep you need. Keeps going. We are whole, complicated beings. Our physical existence is tied up to our spiritual well-being, to our mental outlook, to our relationships with others, including our relationship with God. Sometimes the godliest thing you can do in the universe is get a good night's sleep, not pray all night. 
but sleep. I'm certainly not denying that there might be a place for praying all night. I'm merely insisting that in a normal course of things, spiritual discipline obligates you to get the sleep your body needs. So anybody taking a nap during this message, all is forgiven. (laughs) And I know who you are. No, I'm kidding. I write your name down each week. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That's what Pip does now. It's a strange thing to think about, isn't it? But the most spiritual thing maybe you can do is take a nap, is get a good night's sleep. Sleep, I like to think of it like this. Sleep is, is a, an anti-divine inbuilt switch for humanity. We think we're so awesome. We, sometimes we think, man, we're God. We're, we're doing this well. Yeah, really? Go a couple of nights without sleep. See how you go. It is an automatic inbuilt anti-divine switch. Oh, we sleep. You think God sleeps? He doesn't need sleep. He never slumbers. Constantly watching over us. Constantly doing the work of sustaining and governing his creation. But I tell you what, going to sleep is living out the gospel. It is saying, I trust you, God. You'll be okay without me. Christopher Ash, who's written a great book about this issue, it's called Zeal Without Burnout. He has experienced personally two massive burnouts. Strongly recommend it, Christopher Ash, Zeal Without Burnout. Said this, God has put the medicines on the table and we need to take them. Sabbath, sleep. He also talks about friendship, food. Great book. God has put the medicines on the table and we need to take them because we are dust. I tell you what, good rest is kind of hard work. It's hard to trust God. It's hard to let go. It's hard not to have work spinning around our minds 24-7. And you know what? One thing that makes this particularly hard? Technology. Now, I had basically another whole sermon on this. I've cut out most of it. It's too long. Let me I just want to say a little paragraph before I do. That book, Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung, he's got a great chapter on technology. It's really good. It's really worth reading. Now, what do we want to say about this? Technology is a massive hurdle when it comes to resting well, when it comes to experiencing Sabbath and sleep well. Here's why. Technology addiction is a real thing. If you talked about that 15 years ago, you would have been laughed at. Today, completely accepted, widely accepted. Technology addiction is a real thing. Now, we mustn't be completely negative towards technology. It's wonderful. I mean, this set of diabetes before, I am 24-7 linked up to this thing. It's keeping me alive, right? I love technology. But I tell you what, we mustn't fool ourselves thinking it's taking no toll on us. 2 Peter 2 says, we are slaves to whatever has mastered us. Let me ask you, could you do two days away from your phone? Could you do an afternoon away from Facebook? How about one day away from email? Could you do it? This is a really revealing question. How connected are you on your holidays and on your days off? Could you do a screen Sabbath? Have you heard of that before? Have you thought about that? Could you do one, a screen Sabbath? Okay. So where does it leave us? We've looked at one foundational truth that we are thus, we are finite beings, and God has given us beautiful, two beautiful but neglected gifts, Sabbath and sleep. Where to from here? An invitation to rest. I want to finish on this. Today, Jesus invites us to experience life under his leadership, a life of work, 
rest, peace, and fulfillment. Last night, I, has anyone seen this show before? Tidying up with Marie Kondo. Yeah, any getting any nods? Just me and Mandy. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's a huge smash hit, right? So it's all over Netflix. Uh, it's about this Japanese, tiny little Japanese woman who's basically a tidying up guru. And she's big in her home country of Japan. And she's got this show called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. And this show is set in the US and it, it films her coming in and helping people declutter their lives. I mean, these people have just got junk everywhere and they're desperate. They're crying out for help. And so she gives them all these tips. She's got this kind of weird new agey philosophy where she takes, she said, how to declutter your, she's got this, how you declutter your house is you try and, say clothes, for instance, you're trying to purge half your stuff. You pick up a piece of clothing. If that sparks joy for you, you keep it. If it doesn't, you thank it and throw it out. <laughs> so we're all going to do that. No, I'm kidding. It's a bit strange. I tried it with my children this morning. I picked them up. Do they spark joy? <laughs> yes. No, maybe. It's, I don't want to comment. It's very new agey. It's weird. Obviously, it's quite antithetical to the gospel in some ways. Why am I talking about it? Fascinating show. It's really popular. I thought about why. Why is it really popular? It's not our houses that are getting cleaned. Why are we watching someone else clean someone else's house? Why is it so? It's massive. Why is it so popular? Begin to think about it. I guess who doesn't love a good decluttering, right? We love that. But here it is. I reckon this is what it is. More, more than that, we love seeing someone decisive bring order to chaos, don't we? We love someone bringing order to a chaotic situation because we yearn for it in our own lives. I want Marie to come around to my house and clean up our apartment. You may want that in your house, but it's deeper than that. We long for someone decisive to bring order and clarity to our inner worlds because it's not there. If only someone decisive would say, follow me, I'll show you Real decluttering, I'll declutter your soul. I'll show you rest. I'll show you how to live. I'll show you real joy. Jesus says this, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me finish with this. I love Eugene Peterson's translation of this passage in the message. Are you tired? Remember that question from the beginning? What path are you on? You're on the path to burnout, you're on the path to flourishing. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This, folks, is an invitation to every single one of us from our Saviour Jesus. You know, Jesus has secured real and lasting rest for every single one of us.
on the cross. So we no longer have to strive for salvation. Jesus has secured it for every single one of us. We no longer have to earn our place because Jesus has won it for us by his death and resurrection, and he is guaranteed our final rest in the life to come.